0: few years back, my friend Justin Warner from Food Network moved out to South Dakota. He opened a ramen joint, and he is always posting pictures of all the great food he's not only cooking, but eating all over South Dakota. He's always telling me to come visit. And you know, one of the best ways to experience a new place is to eat your way through it. But it's equally important to live your way through it, too. And when you summer in South Dakota, you can fill up on all the lake days, hikes, rides, and small-town strolls that'll leave you with a regained sense of wonder and a hunger to do it all over again. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time. I travel South Dakota. Koda.com. Hey, Sally Helm, reporter for Planet Money. Hello, Dan. You'll recall the scene. It's a very hot summer day. I should have worn shorts. You and I show up at a little restaurant in New York City, specifically in Long Island City, Queens.
1: Yeah, it's a casual Indian place called Ada, which translates roughly to hangout spot. And that is the vibe that owner Ronnie Mazumdar was going for. You're Ronnie. Yeah. I'm Sally. How are you? Very nice to meet you.
0: Ronnie knows the restaurant business. At the time we first meet him, he owns three Indian places in New York. In addition to this one, there's the Masala Wala and a more upscale spot, Rahi. But he's also run a few places that have closed, including a taco spot right here in Ada's current location. And he told us the whole concept of Ada is a risk. We took a lot of chances in a restaurant like this. Serving goat brains isn't really a normal protocol here in New York because you're scared out of your mind, like, maybe it's way too ethnic. But when the New York Times came to review Ada, those goat brains were considered a highlight. One server compares them to soft scrambled eggs with onions, ginger, and fresh green chilies. Another standout, according to Pete Wells' review, kaleji masala, chicken livers in a gravy with fresh ginger and garam masala.
1: That was not the only press that Atta got. It was named a Best New Restaurant in America by Food & Wine and got nominated for a James Beard Award, which is great in some ways, of course. But suddenly, the business changed, and Ronnie found he had a problem.
0: Now, the problem is not the food. It's actually the physical space and how the physical space relates to the money.
1: So to explain this... First, you gotta understand that Ronnie designed his restaurant one way.
0: We were genuinely never expecting people beyond a five block radius.
1: There's a college across the street, lots of young professionals working in the area. But
0: now, Udda is a destination. People from different parts of the world are coming. This is no longer a quick bite restaurant. People are spending more time than we expected. But that also creates a, lot, a certain economic pressure. It does, that's why the chairs don't have cushions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead serious. <laughs>
1: If the chairs are too comfortable, people might stay too long. And Ronnie is set on keeping prices low, which means if he's going to turn a good profit, he needs people to eat quickly, then leave and make space for more customers.
0: But not feel too rushed. I mean, he wants them to have a good enough time that they come back, of course. Balance. Yeah, that's the key for any restaurateur. you got to get the most out of every table, every seat, every minute that you're open. And to do that, a restaurant has to balance three things. Price. Timing and space, all of them come with trade-offs.
1: Yeah, you can do low prices and quick turnover or you can make it really comfy so that people are okay paying more, but then they stay longer.
0: And of course, you want to fit as many people in your restaurant as possible, but you can't go too far with that because then no one's going to want to come back. I mean, people don't like to eat literally in a human pile.
1: So trade-offs, how a place balances these trade-offs sets the tone and the profits For a restaurant.
0: And this industry operates on tiny margins. So if that balance is off, even a James Beard Award nominated restaurant is vulnerable.
1: Ronnie is doing a lot of things right, but his problem? It is right smack in the front of the restaurant for everyone to see.
0: Ada's worst table.
1: What table is this? 101. You say that with like an ominous. This is the only table that's a high top. Because it's higher up, it's raised off the ground.
0: Yes, and we wanted that because we wanted sort of a little nice vantage point so people can really see outside as opposed to really a lower angle. Ronnie thought for sure that Table 101 was going to be the best seat in the house. It is the window seat, and usually people love the window seat. But at Udda, this window table has the restaurant's lowest check average. Ronnie doesn't get it. That's why we've brought Ronnie a secret weapon. Stephanie Robson. She's an expert on restaurant psychology and design, and she has agreed to come to Ada and conduct an experiment. Can she use her research to turn Table 101 into the best seat in the house?
1: And also show me and Dan, and everyone else, the little tricks that restaurants use to get us to spend more.
0: Today on the show, we take a page from reality TV. We're doing a data-driven restaurant makeover.
1: It is a game of inches. And everything inside is fair game. (laughs) We're totally dismantling your entire restaurant. I love it.
0: This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. And for this episode, I got a co-host, my friend Sally Helm, reporter, writer, producer. Hey, Sally.
1: Hello, Dan. So the story that we are sharing today is one that we also did with our friends at the NPR podcast, Planet Money.
0: That's right, Sally. So let's get into it.
1: All right. So we meet Stephanie Robson in the street outside Ada.
0: Have you been here before?
1: I have not.
2: It took me a while to find it.
0: We picked Stephanie because she's the perfect person to figure out the problem of Table 101. She's consulted with dozens of restaurants. Her specialty, the way design affects how much we spend. She used to teach this stuff at Cornell.
1: Stephanie did one study that showed that playing fast songs got people out of a restaurant seven or eight minutes quicker.
0: Other research suggests that if you play faster music, people might also spend more per minute. Stephanie says that could be why grocery stores play so
1: much 80s music. And these days, she is very focused on tables. How
2: close tables can be and what effect that has on the guest, which is kind of mortifying. You know, when you talk to other people who do research... And some people will be coming up with a new theory of physics, and I'm studying the distance of restaurant tables.
0: But Well, for the record, Stephanie, I think your research is very important. Well,
1: thank you, Dan. <laughs> it is important, especially to someone running a restaurant. Restaurants don't really sell food. They, they
2: sell space. That's what they're in the business of doing.
0: You're running a real estate business.
2: It is a real estate business. That's exactly right. And the diners are, like, renting tables? Yeah. Yeah, think about it. When you go to a restaurant that has a really high check average, really high prices, they can give you a bigger table. They can give you a bigger table because they can afford to because you're paying more in rent. And for
0: that money, for that extra money, you are quite literally getting more space for more time.
2: Yes, that's exactly right. And so if you're at a restaurant where they don't have that kind of a check average, think about fast food restaurants you've been to. You don't get a comfy booth at McDonald's. That's on purpose because they don't want you to stay.
0: Even in suburban and rural areas where there's plenty of space at fast food restaurants, you're not going to find a whole lot of cushioned seats. And some of the more upscale fast casual places have no seats at all. Like Los Tacos Numero Uno, a small taco chain in New York City, they only have high counters. So if you can eat there, you have to eat standing up. Even at Uda, they don't go that far.
1: So when we walk in here in a sec, what are you going to be looking for? First thing I'm going to look for is what style of seating they have.
2: But I get a first impression just looking at the mix of tables and where they are.
1: Is that always what it's like for you? When you walk into a restaurant, do your eye go straight to the tables? I am single for a reason, Sally. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie used to bring a tape measure in her purse everywhere she went. She says she has never whipped it out on a first date. But... She did once get kicked out of the food court at the Pentagon City Mall outside D.C. because she was drawing little diagrams of the tables, and the guards thought that was suspicious.
0: It sounds totally normal to me.
1: All right. Should we do it? Should we go inside? Let's do it. All right.
0: All right, Stephanie, describe to us what you're seeing.
1: I am seeing a really interesting mix of tables. This is an unusually shaped restaurant. Uda is long and narrow. From the door, we can see the whole thing. There's the problem table 101 in the front window. Then it's a row of two-person tables against a long wall with a banquette. That's like bench seating that runs almost the whole length of the restaurant. And on the other side of the room, there's a little nook, an alcove.
0: In Stephanie's mind, every part of the restaurant is a subtle clue for diners about how we should behave and what we should expect.
1: Like if you have heavy cutlery, research suggests you are willing to spend more. You're like, oh, my God, this fork is so heavy in my hand. This salmon must be worth $30.
0: Right, whereas if it comes on a paper plate with a plastic fork, you're like, clearly this salmon has been farmed. I did
1: low-quality salmon here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, so first, Stephanie looks around. She zooms in on the furniture.
2: The chairs that I see are all metal. Um, You're not going to sit in these for a long time. We sometimes talk about restaurant chairs based on how long you're comfortable. You can order a two-hour
1: chair or a three-hour chair order them, like, from your restaurant supplier. So, say you're a steakhouse and you're going to charge a lot for your steaks and sell expensive bottles of wine, you can order the nice, cushy three-hour chairs with the armrests. Your plan is to have people stay longer so you can sell them an extra cocktail, some desserts.
0: But these metal chairs at Uda,
1: What is this, like a 30-minute chair? This is probably a 42-minute and 30-second chair. (laughs) Wow!
0: I think Stephanie was kidding about the 30 seconds, but it wouldn't shock me if she was right.
1: As we were talking about this, up walks the guy who can tell us all about these chairs, Ronnie.
0: Stephanie, Ronnie, Ronnie, Stephanie.
1: Hi, Ronnie. Ronnie and Stephanie get right into it. And actually, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about your restaurant, if you don't mind. So, She starts off by asking, what's up with that cool little alcove in the wall there?
0: That was a mop closet, which we turned into a a little nook, but that turned out to be the best seat in the house.
2: I was going to ask you why it's there, but you just answered that for me. It was a mop closet.
0: The mop closet table is the top table in the restaurant in terms of overall check average.
1: Stephanie hears this and is like, ah, yes, I thought so. One of her big research findings is that customers like tables that are anchored. That means they're up against a wall or in a corner. We don't like feeling exposed. We like to be able to defend our space.
0: We're still basically cave people.
1: And actually, there are a lot of anchored tables at Ada, good for the caveman part of our brains. A lot of them are up against that long wall with the banquette. But then, of course, there is the table in the window.
0: So let's bring it back to this table. Table 101. Oh, boy.
1: We walk over to table 101. Remember, Stephanie's goal is to make it psychologically and financially optimal. And Ronnie has given her free reign.
0: Stephanie looks at it and immediately she's like, oh, yeah, we can make this better.
2: I'm, I'm tempted to pull out a piece of paper right now. And maybe I think if Dan has a tape
1: measure, we, we could draw this, this do thing it. up.
3: Absolutely. Let's
0: do it. All right. Break out the uh, blueprints.
1: Stephanie says, OK, look. First of all, the high-top thing isn't working for you. Not now that the restaurant isn't that quick-bite place anymore. People at this table feel like they're not part of the restaurant. They might be tempted to just order drinks and appetizers and then head out. So we need to bring this table down to the level of the others.
0: And then she adds something else. She says, remember that mop closet table that's doing so well? People love to feel like they're in their own space, snug and cozy. But this table over here, it's right by the door.
2: What I would do is then add a little stub wall, sort of perpendicular to the wall right by the doorway. How high do you think the wall should be? 42 inches. Why? You don't want a wall that's so high that people can't see over it. They Mm. kind of feel a little uncomfortable when they can't see the whole restaurant, Mm. but you also want it high enough that it feels like you're comfortable and anchored.
0: All right, first off, Sally, did you hear how quickly Stephanie said 42 inches? She knows. She's so hardcore, I love it. Anyway, She says that if Ronnie adds this little wall, he can turn this into a much better table.
2: Okay, so we have a notebook here. So why don't you describe for me, Ronnie, what you'd like to do?
0: Maximum number of seats, humanly possible. It becomes clear pretty quickly that Stephanie and Ronnie have different agendas.
1: Ronnie wants more seats for more customers. Basically, feed as many people as possible, as quickly as possible, without sacrificing too much on comfort.
0: How much space do you really think we need between tables?
1: So if, you, if you're thinking about table spacing psychologically, you
2: want, I'm going to say 16 inches between tables. 16 inches, that's a whole restaurant. Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stephanie's research shows that 16 inches is optimal. It's the Goldilocks distance. We don't like to feel too isolated. We also don't like to feel too crammed together. But not all restaurants can afford to have that much space not generating revenue. And especially in an expensive city like New York, customers have gotten used to as little as six inches.
2: And that looks like pretty much what you have. Okay. Um, in fact, I would argue in some of those tables is closer to four.
0: They, yeah, They probably are Stephanie wants Ronnie to start thinking differently. Remember, it's a real estate business. Her big metric is spend per minute. That essentially tells you how much you're getting in rent from your diners.
1: So she wants to make Table 101 into higher-end real estate. Just like when a landlord makes an apartment nicer, so tenants expect to pay more for it. Stephanie wants to make this table more comfortable, a better psychological experience. And she thinks this will pay off in higher check averages, more spending per person. But that's stressful to Ronnie, for a good reason.
0: Can you give me some idea, Ronnie, how much is one seat in this restaurant worth?
1: Ronnie does some quick math. This much on dinner, this many turns of the table per week. About $6,000 a month,
0: uh, $72,000 a year. Yeah. So adding one seat is a big deal. I guess, yeah. But Stephanie's like, let me show you. She gets to work with her tape measure.
2: I'm wow, going to crawl around under the table. Sure. That's okay. okay.
0: Yeah. We'll see you in a few. <laughs> I'm not out of your way, Stephanie. I love my job. I love my job. <laughs> In case you couldn't hear, as Stephanie crawled under the table, she was muttering, I love my job, I love my job.
1: Finally, she has all the measurements she needs.
0: They budget six inches between tables, not 16. But Ronnie can see what's coming.
1: He might have to lose a precious seat. And he starts kind of panicking, suggesting all this stuff to get that seat back. He's like, wait, what if we did slightly smaller tables? What if the tables were round? Maybe if we had smaller chairs?
0: We are literally going inch by inch here to try to save one seat in this restaurant. Absolutely.
1: Stephanie listens to these ideas, but she also holds firm.
0: Finally, they have it all drawn out to her specifications. And the big moment comes, they count up the seats.
2: So you've bought yourself one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seats. Right now in this space, what's the maximum number of people you would sit here? Eight. Okay, so you've actually lost a seat. Yeah. But the question is, will you increase your revenue? Because these tables are more desirable. Suddenly, this becomes a great table. A great spot. Sure. Even though you've lost a seat. That's fine, yeah. I'd be willing to bet that you probably will see your revenues go up. Hmm.
0: You almost hear Ronnie trying to convince himself. He's like, yes, yes, that will happen. I'm sure of it. (laughs) (laughs) So this is what they end up with, a redesigned area for table 101 with this new stub wall for privacy and anchoring, which Stephanie's research has shown people really like. The big high-top table for eight becomes three small tables at a normal height that seat a total of seven. If Ronnie wants to take Stephanie's advice, he has to go against his restaurateur's intuition.
1: Ronnie, are you in for this experiment? I think so. So, will Stephanie's redesign make Ronnie more money even though he's lost one precious seat?
0: After the break, Ronnie does some construction, and we get the results. Stick around.
2: And now... A delicious word from our sponsors.
0: Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations in 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at comfort hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool... Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the Choice Hotels take care of all the other stuff, too. But I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line... They take cruising to another level, and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar, and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest-first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. At Boar's Head, delicious is in the details, and you see that in their incredible selection of hummus flavors. Boar's Head hummus is expertly crafted to achieve the perfect balance of creamy texture and refined taste. You can taste those chickpeas. You can taste the tahini. You can taste a little bit of acidity. It's got it all. I especially love their roasted red pepper hummus made with fire roasted peppers. You can even taste a little bit of that char. It's perfectly dippable. It's perfectly spreadable. This is the kind of thing you always want to have on hand in your refrigerator. Dip, scoop, spread, or smear Boar's Head hummus to your heart's content. Hummus so extraordinary, it can only be Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know the peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? They're wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful, I'm Dan Pashman. Hey, before we get back to the show, my first cookbook, Anything's Possible, is coming out in just a few weeks. And in order to write this book, I knew I needed some help. So I hired a team of recipe developers, culinary pros, who would help me turn a bunch of half-boiled ideas into finished recipes. And in each episode of The Sporkful this month, we're taking a few minutes to feature one of those developers, so you can hear their stories and learn more about their contributions to my book. Today, I'm spotlighting Katie Laird. Katie lives on Martha's Vineyard, off the coast of Massachusetts, and her specialty is Italian food. But Katie herself isn't Italian.
3: As she puts it, We weren't really rooted in a culinary tradition, but luckily I grew up in Northern New Jersey, which is so Italian American.
0: Yes, also where I grew up. Okay, yes, yes. I can confirm.
3: It's amazing. It's like Italy West. It's amazing how saturated <laughs> it is with this super yeah, rich I mean, Italian American tradition. The
0: Sopranos was not set in New Jersey by accident.
3: Um, no, my mother went to high school with the creator. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> All right, there you go. Katie may not be Italian, but an Italian American aunt who married into Katie's family made a big impression on her.
3: Aunt Di has just always been my favorite cook, you know, and so when we would have the big family holidays and everything like that, you know, I grew up thinking that manicotti was a traditional Thanksgiving food. It's not my tradition, but it became my kind of family tradition to be in this italian american world that tradition would become katie's
0: career in her 20s she worked in restaurants and eventually went to culinary school her program sent her to train a restaurant in the region of puglia in the heel of italy's boot
3: i get paired with a woman named maria ciccarella who is a home-taught mother and grandmother who Starts working in her son's restaurant and eventually earns that restaurant a Michelin star. So she's just the role model in my book, you know, just totally made her own way.
0: What I love about Katie, one of the reasons I wanted to work with her, is that she's steeped in classic Italian cooking and she loves to experiment and innovate. She knows the traditional ways, but doesn't feel beholden to them. One example of that in the book, there's a dish in Puglia that's a fava bean puree with crunchy bitter greens in it. Usually it's served as an appetizer with bread, but Katie helped me transform it into a pasta dish.
3: Please do not tell any of my grandma friends (laughs) in Puglia. (laughs) Because really, they are really, they might actually cause heart failure for these older women. Right. they've made like,
0: it this far. This is going to be the thing that puts them over the edge. This
3: really, this really could, you know. <laughs> Nona Yolanda, I am sorry. She is She is 98 years old. This could really do it for her. But um, the crazy American is at it again. Make that
0: two crazy Americans. Katie and I also teamed up for recipes in the book like cavatelli with roasted artichokes and preserved lemon... Pappardelle with arugula and olives And a pasta frittata Perfect any time of day or night Follow Katie on Instagram at Katie Laird Food Laird is L-E-A-I-R-D Katie Laird Food And remember that anything's possible Is available for pre-order right now Pre-orders are the best way to support an author And if you pre-order the book You'll get an invite to a special Zoom cooking class I'm going to be hosting just for you And all the other nice folks who pre-ordered We're going to hang out, chat, cook, eat It's going to be a lot of fun you already pre-order you're also eligible to join the class to pre-order the book including options for signed copies and to get your invite to this class go to sporkful.com book okay back to our story hey sally dan hello it's so nice to see you again.
1: It's so nice to see you. Here we are.
0: Here we are on the sidewalk in Queens, outside Ada Indian Canteen.
1: And it's been a couple months since we were last here. It's winter now. Right.
0: The seasons have not stopped. Nope. And we hear that Ronnie has made the changes that Professor Stephanie
1: recommended. So we're here to see him. We walk in, and right away.
0: Wow. It's really different.
1: I just gasped because the stub wall that we heard so much about is here. Here it is. I wonder if it is 42 inches tall, as Stephanie wanted it to be. And,
0: you know, it's interesting. The the stub wall really does separate this table because we're actually, Sally, we're only like three feet away from this table, and we're staring at them very awkwardly (laughs) and clearly talking about their table,
1: and they don't seem to have noticed. Yeah, no, I don't feel weird about it. I feel like we can talk here all day.
0: (laughs) The high-top table 101 is gone. In its place are three tables at normal height. The window is now revealed to the whole restaurant instead of being blocked by the high table.
1: After a bit, Ronnie shows up. He confirms that the stub wall is indeed exactly 42 inches tall. Oh, thank goodness. And he thinks that the wall has made a way bigger difference than he ever imagined.
0: So it was a huge learning experience for me as an operator as to just this kind of a subtle difference, how big of an impact it can have on the emotional state of your guests. (laughs) ¶¶ Ronnie says the renovations cost about $4,000. So,
1: would it be worth it? A few weeks later, we get the data.
0: Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Great,
1: Ronnie. How are you?
0: We got Ronnie into the studio with us and called up Stephanie.
1: Ronnie had had his team send Stephanie the data in advance. Four weeks of customer spending at Table 101 before the renovation, and four weeks in that area after the renovation. She'd crunch the numbers... She was the only one who had seen the final figures.
0: So, Sally, are we ready to hear the results? Oh, boy, drum roll! Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so
2: ready. Where would you like to start?
1: Stephanie had calculated the check average, how much time people were spending at the tables, and also the combination, the spend per minute. Now, remember, even two or three bucks of extra spending per check can mean tens of thousands of dollars per year. And Ronnie has to cover the cost of both the renovation and losing that seat.
0: Stephanie looked at lunch and dinner separately. At lunch, after the renovation, the check average went up. Now, the time spent at tables also went up, but only by a bit. So the key metric, spending per minute, didn't change enough to be statistically significant.
1: As in, this small change could have just been random chance. But for dinner... The original check average was $36.80. It went up to
2: $45.90. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. So an increase of $9.10. And that is statistically significant. It's major.
0: Wow. $9
1: per person. Per person. Just by changing the table. That's huge. At dinner, people were actually spending less time at the tables. This was kind of surprising to us, but Ronnie had an explanation. He now has three small tables in that area instead of the one big high top for eight. So, smaller groups. They eat quicker than bigger ones.
0: Plus, he found an unexpected benefit. Flexibility. He can put these three small tables into any combination. Split them up, put them all together. Before, it was one big table, so it would either have a big party or sit empty. Now the seats are full more often.
1: So, higher check averages, less time at the tables... This is looking good for the all-important spend-per-minute metric, the one Stephanie cares the most about.
0: What's the spend-per-minute then, Stephanie, in, the, in in the new arrangement for dinner?
1: The spend per minute went from 49.3 cents
2: to 68.3 cents. Whoa. So, for an increase of 19 cents.
0: <laughs> ching Ronnie's buying lunch today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Depending on the table we sit at. <laughs> wow. That's a yeah. huge increase.
2: Yeah. Very significant. Uh, well, I shouldn't say very. Significant is significant. Um, but all three of these metrics for dinner, both the average check, the duration, and when you put them together, the spend per minute, all of those were significant results. She means
0: statistically significant, but it's also significant in the other sense, like meaningful. If you assume those results hold over the course of the year, do some back-of-the-envelope calculations, Ada is likely to make more than enough to cover the cost of losing that seat. They're on pace to make an extra $18,000 a year. Ronnie says that's basically the entire utility bill. And they did that just by making the tables more flexible and more comfortable.
1: Ronnie told us... That's actually his big takeaway from the experiment.
0: We sometimes get caught up on counting every inch, but maybe the answer isn't just about that extra table, but the quality of the experience that can make uh, a significant impact. He says he's drawing up plans for a new restaurant now, focused on Indian grilling, kebabs, and street food. And this time, no high-top tables. We're literally in the process right now for the upcoming restaurant. We're deciding on all the seating. I'm like, banquettes, no high tops, no
2: communal (laughs) seating. Send me the drawings. Send me the drawings. I want to have a look.
1: (laughs) So that was Ronnie's takeaway. But Dan, you and I were more focused on what this means for us the next time we eat.
0: Yeah, like now I understand why I like to sit up against a wall. So I'm going to try to do that even more often. And that way no one can attack me.
1: Really? Because I I am sort of like, I don't know if I want to be subtly incepted by design factors to be spending more money on food.
0: Yeah, I think it's too late for that.
1: I'm not sure I like
0: that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sally. This is a lot of fun. Let's do it again sometime.
1: Thanks, Dan. See you soon.
0: A quick update for you. We first went to Udda and talked to Ronnie and Stephanie five years ago. Since then, Ronnie's restaurant group, Unapologetic Foods, has opened up a bunch of new restaurants. Some of them are Indian fine dining, like Sema and Damaka. They also have two fast food Indian fried chicken restaurants called Rowdy Rooster. Udda is still operating in Queens, but Ronnie's planning to open a new, bigger Ada location in Manhattan at some point. He tells us he's taken what he learned from Stephanie and applied it to all of his restaurants. As for Stephanie, she retired from Cornell, but she's still consulting with a lot of restaurants and retailers. Recently, she worked with a major league soccer team to look at the food operations in their stadium. She looked at all the different food items being sold and how they could adjust the balance and placement of those items to increase spending. Because of her work and recommendations, she says the stadium saw an increase in sales. That's it for this episode, but it's a big week here on The folk because this Thursday we're dropping the fourth and final episode of Season 1 of Deep Dish with Sola and Ham. This one's about the beloved bagel and the time when the mafia tried to get in on the bagel business. There are death threats. There are attempts to sabotage bagel dough. It's very intense. That episode of Deep Dish drops this Thursday. And then next week I talk with comedian Gary Gullman about his evolution from being a comic who focuses a lot on food to making jokes about his clinical depression, class, and masculinity. That's next week. While you wait for those exciting episodes, check out last week's Salad Spinner where we touch on the hot ticket Stanley Drinking Cup, the current obsession with spicy peppers, and TikTok's food-based test of true love. Finally, please remember to pre-order anything's possible. Go to sporkful.com slash book for more. This episode was originally produced by me, along with Sally Helm, Emma Morgenstern, Harry Huggins, and Ann Sandy. Along with the great folks at Planet Money, Darian Woods, Alexi Horowitz-Gazi, Alex Goldmark, Brian Erstad, and Isaac Rodriguez. It was edited by Tracy Samuelson and mixed by Jared O'Connell. The Sporkful team now includes Emma Morgenstern, Andres O'Hara, and Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher Studios. Our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Nora Ritchie. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman.
1: And I'm Noni from New York City. Reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better.